So welcome and hello if I've not met you before. My name is Kath. I'm part of the staff team. It's the first time I've been up the front in the new year. I've been back in Australia, seen all the wonders back there. Um, and it's just great to be back. Um, so we are in this series, as should be on the screen, yes it is, called Leave for the 99. Who's been around over the last few weeks? Yes, quite a few. Good. So you know what I'm talking about, but I'm just going to give a little recap. Um, basically, Leave for the 99 is a reference to in Luke where Jesus t- gives tells three stories about lost things. There's one about lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And it's in the context of the Pharisee saying, why are you hanging out with all these sinners? And he's really highlighting, wouldn't you go after, if, you, if something's lost, you're going to be compelled to go after it. And in the context of the sheep, he says, if a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one goes wandering and he's lost, the shepherd's going to just completely leave those sheep to go after the one. But the reason you might have noticed, like, hang on, it says leave the 99, leave for the 99. Get that? Leave for the 99. That's because in our case in London, it's more like we have one sheep here in the church. People that say they know God and and it's more like there's 99 out there. And as a church at the moment, we actually feel a disruption by the Spirit at the moment. I don't think it's just us on the staff team or even just our leaders. We feel the Spirit stirring us and agitating us to be looking outwards. And, and I know for me, I've become too comfortable in my church world. And we can all, it's very tempting. We've got a lovely group of people here to just be so focused on what's happening here. When Jesus is the heart of a shepherd, his heart is burning for the lost. It's burning and saying, come on church, it's time to look out, to go out to seek and find the lost. And so this series is all about us waking up as a people, as our identity as sent ones, sent in power to seek out the lost. And and we are ascending church at KXC. This might be your first time, but if you're around us for any length of time, you'll hear about church plants that we've sent out or we're planning to send out. We feel that we have this real apostolic call on us as a church to do that. We're, We're sending. But even if you don't go on any of these church plants, each of us individually are sent ones. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you're sent. And that's what this is all about. We exist as the church for those out there. And we are sent, not just in our own strength, but we're sent in power to demonstrate the kingdom of God, to demonstrate the kingdom, and with both words and in power. And that's what we are talking about today. Ultimately, we want you to count yourself in. So you might be hearing this going, I'm not sure about this. I just want to invite you, count yourself into this journey that we're on. All right. Today, we're going to talk about the power of signs and wonders. Um, Jesus constantly did signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit. If you look through the Gospels, we see healing, we see miraculous provision, multiplication, prophetic insight, deliverance from demons, raising the dead, calming of storms, and inclusion into community for the outcast. And sometimes these signs and wonders happen before Jesus taught, before he said anything, and sometimes they happen after. So he would preach and and then a sign would break out. 
but they were always present with the kingdom message. The signs and wonders were always present. And these signs were not just about parading God's power. They are actually called signs, funnily enough, because they're pointing to something. They're pointing to something else. They were revealing God's heart and they were demonstrating the kingdom of heaven breaking into earth here and now. And so just back to this passage that Emma just read out for us. When Jesus has this encounter, when he's speaking with the woman at the well, it's by the power of the Spirit that he prophesies about her true need for living water and calls out the fact that she's had five husbands and that the man she's now living with isn't even her husband. And this is what we call a prophetic conversation. I don't know if you've been a part of a conversation like that before. I have. Often your heart is pounding when someone's kind of reading your mail like that, as we say. Um, And he's using what we call a prophetic word of knowledge. And And this not only gets her attention in a big way, but we see that it actually unlocks her heart to what God is wanting to say to her at such a deep level. The prophetic element of this conversation takes the conversation about a drink of water to become a conversation about worship and how she can find true satisfaction through relationship with God and being filled with the Spirit. And so Jesus just doesn't give these prophetic words just to show off that he knows stuff or to expose or to shame the woman. That's never his heart. His heart is to reveal her deep need so that he can invite her into life. And I feel like that's what's going to happen here today as well. Pete referred to it earlier. The Spirit is here to reveal the deep needs of our hearts so that he can meet that by his Spirit. Through signs and wonders, Jesus always connects the ultimate need of the person to the one who can satisfy that need. That's what these miracles and cool things were all about. If you look through the gospel stories, if the need is food, the miracle is food. Funnily enough, if the need is healing, it's healing. If it's deliverance, if someone is spiritually oppressed, then he delivers them. And for the woman at the well, her deepest longing is to be loved and to belong. It's such a deep emotional need. And through a prophetic word, Jesus connects that longing to the streams of living water that will satisfy her more than any relationship, than any husband. It's an invitation to know salvation and relationship with God by the Spirit. I can relate to a prophetic word unlocking my heart, not just once, but many times throughout my life. But um, before I even knew Jesus, I knew a lot about him. But before I had a relationship with him, I was a young teenager and I was actually... um, really consumed with um, loneliness, unworthiness, and quite a lot of sadness that I kept inside. And um, around this time, my oldest sister had quite a dramatic um, encounter with the Lord. She um, was filled with the Spirit, and she immediately began just prophesying. She just began operating in the prophetic. And she began to write me these letters, basically saying, this is from God, um, what he wanted to say to me. And she would fold them up and put them up, slide them under my bedroom door because my door was usually closed. 
And I never actually talked about this with her, but I would just, now she's going to hear it on the podcast, I would just read these letters with my heart pounding because Jesus by doing that, just unlocked my heart. He spoke to my pain, which was that I'm not worthy of God's attention. I knew that God was there, but I actually didn't think I was worthy for him to speak to me. So more than what was even said was the fact that he saw me and he was he wanted to speak to me and it just unlocked my heart and it started this hunger in me to know this Jesus for myself. And not long after that, I did have an encounter with the Holy Spirit myself. I haven't looked back since. Best decision you'll ever make, by the way. Um, I also have a friend in Melbourne a few years back. She was sitting in um, her car in the school car park waiting to pick up her kids. Um, She looked across and saw another mum in her car waiting. She met this lady a couple of times before, didn't really know her. But in that moment, felt like God just dropped um, a word for her into her mind. And so she walked over and knocked on the, the window and said, oh, excuse me, Jane, let's just call her Jane. Um, good to see you. Um, this might sound a bit strange, but I was just praying for you in my car and I feel like God wants to say something to you. And the lady was like, oh, okay, what does he want to say? And she said, um, he wants to tell you that you're a really good wife. And the lady just broke down. She just began to weep and weep. And then it unfolded that she was actually having an affair at that time with another man. And, and what God was doing in that moment in his kindness was just speaking to her shame and saying, I'm calling you back to me. This is who you really are. He just went to her point of pain and shame. And that's what God does. That's what God does through the prophetic What would happen if we started to have these kinds of prophetic conversations with people, with our neighbours, with our hairdressers, with our friends at work? They might look at you weirdly. You might never know what came of it. Like with me, my sister, she probably will only find out what, how the impact of just writing those words, maybe it is writing something down and giving it to someone, but you're not going to know what that plants in someone's heart, what's it, what it's going to speak to them. And do you know that we're in a world at the moment where people are desperate for this stuff? They're desperate for spirituality. I know friends at my other job, not at KXC, my other job, who are seeking out psychics and clairvoyants. (laughs) Just wanted to put that in context. Um, They're seeking out other kinds of spiritual experiences, self-help gurus, personality tests, or the perfect relationship. Anything to give them meaning, comfort, direction, and validation. But we know that that longing is only met in Jesus, don't we? We've got that. We've got the answer inside us. This is a need that only he can fill. The spring of living water. I'm reading a a book at the moment that's a testimony um, by quite a well-known Australian actor. You might not know her over here, but she had a dramatic encounter with the Spirit. It's quite miraculous how she came to faith. But it's her story. But there's a point where she's just so in love with Jesus, she suddenly realized how good he is. She's hearing from the Holy Spirit. But then this thing rises up in her and she says to a Christian friend, why, didn't I, why did it take this long for me to know about this? Why did it take this long? Because she just thought that Christianity was this dry thing, this set of rules, but she was now encountering the Spirit. And that's what we've got within us to share. 
So we're going to talk about different signs and wonders that indicate that the kingdom of God is breaking in. Um, so these are all supernatural, these signs and wonders, and they all accompanied Jesus. And they're also present today whenever the kingdom is breaking in. So let's talk through these. We're going to look at compelling community, contagious holiness, compassion, cost and suffering, and miracles. I couldn't quite find a C for miracles. <laughs> Try, I thought about saying crazy miracles. I just thought that didn't quite work. Um, all right. So let's look at compelling community. So if you look at the people Jesus had around him, it is hilarious. It's kind of bonkers, really. Such a motley crew. Jesus' friends were rich and poor. They were educated and uneducated. They were outcasts and the elite. There were no boundaries on who could be in his family. There was religious leaders and sex workers at dinner parties together. <laughs> Just saying that again. Religious leaders and sex workers at dinner parties. This is what happens when there's an outbreak of the spirit. Among his closest friends were impulsive fishermen, doubters, tax collectors, and brothers with anger problems that all found a place with him. And the early church was also characterized by these communities of radical diversity, communities centered around love and forgiveness, where offenses were not held onto, where no one was in need because everything was shared and people were cared for, where the lonely found family. It says they, in Acts that they all broke bread together and praised God with grateful, thankful hearts. And they enjoyed the favour of all the people. So where there is, are these compelling communities, the whole region gets blessed. And we know that any church community is not perfect, believed or not, even our own. We know that. But when you've been around church for a while, you actually forget how unique it is. A place where 90-year-olds, maybe we don't have 90-year-olds at the moment, KFC, but where 90-year-olds and 3-year-olds can be celebrating together in the same room, where, where the Spirit of Jesus is alive and in the midst as we centre ourselves around him despite our many, many differences. That's what a compelling Jesus community looks like. And we are seeing at KXC, because I get to oversee the newcomers stuff, at our meals, just more and more people are coming into our church who have no faith background, but they are desperate for this kind of community. That's what they're getting drawn in by. That's what is grabbing their hearts. Because of the isolation and loneliness in this city, it's like they're coming towards a fire. They can sense it to, to be warmed. What would happen if we just start inviting our friends into this community? We don't, sometimes if you're anything like me, I feel like, oh, I've got to prep them for a certain amount of months and like to get them ready for the weird church world and I've got to do this and that. But what if we just leave that up to God to take care of because he's at work in their life anyway and just invite them and the thing that's going to strike them isn't always what we think it is. We might be worried about all the worship or all the other weird stuff, but actually I think it's going to be the community first and foremost that they're going to be struck by. It's a little challenge for us all. The next one, contagious holiness. So again, looking at the woman at the well and this encounter, 
We've heard in the past weeks that Jesus crossed huge social and religious boundaries by even speaking to her, both as a woman in those days and as a Samaritan. And we know that she would have been there at the well at midday because no one else would have been around at that time in the baking sun. And so she was an outcast because of her sinful lifestyle, basically. And where it says in the text that Jews don't associate with Samaritans, another translation for this is Jews do not, have, do not use dishes Samaritans have used. To get the significance of that. So that means that, that if a Jew made not only any physical contact with someone who was unclean in that way, but even shared a dish, they would need to then do like a week of ceremonial cleansing. Yet Jesus asks her for a drink, so essentially sharing her cup. This was outrageous. But what Jesus demonstrates here is the kind of holiness that isn't contaminated by others' sin, but a holiness that makes others clean. And we see this throughout the gospel stories again and again. He touches and eats with those who are unclean, the lepers, the sinners, the Gentiles, which includes us, by the way. (laughs) And he even touches um, dead bodies, which was a big no-no. But he makes them all clean and whole through association with him. Because of his holiness, They get brought into his holiness. He never considers the sin as a barrier. So if you're sitting here today and you actually don't know if you're good enough to be close to Jesus, there is no barrier for you. You can come really close. He has covered our sin with his righteousness. So people then turn from their sin in a response to his lavish, unconditional grace, not the other way around. And this is probably one of the biggest misconceptions about Christianity, right? That, we, that being a Christian is all about doing really good deeds um, to earn your way to God or living a really moral, holy life to become worthy of him. And I remember not long ago, a few years ago, doing um, some prayer on the streets on Caledonian Road um, with my friend Karis, who's also on the team. And we walked into one of those dark, grimy kind of old men pubs. You know what I mean? (laughs) That might be insulting. Sorry if that's your hangout. Um, So we were in the old man pub. We walked in and in seconds we were surrounded by a group of men um, who were intrigued as to what we were doing there. And... um, and we asked, um, we got into, we started to chat to them and then we just asked, is there something we can pray for for you? And again and again, the response came back with a kind of a recoiling and an embarrassed laugh going, oh, I'm beyond prayer. Oh, I don't, I don't deserve your prayers. And isn't it interesting that that is actually the response of so many people out there. But do you know that we who are, um, belong to Jesus, we are filled with the same resurrection power as him, the same holiness. We get to do what he does and draw near to people and bring them into his holy presence and just say, you're in. There's no barriers now. You're in, even through association with me. We bring them into his righteousness and grace. And so a challenge with this is like maybe think about the person that's in your life that you think is the most unlikely person to come to faith. I think that God is on their case. Jesus is not afraid to get close to them no matter what they're into, no matter what darkness you see in their life. 
The Holy Spirit inside us is not afraid of contamination. Greater than the spirit of the world. Compassion. We're whizzing through these. Compassion is what compelled Jesus in everything he did. It's how and it's why he moves. And we see that his compassion actually unlocks the supernatural. Again, if you look through the scriptures, you see that Jesus was moved with compassion for those who are grieving, those who are hungry, sick, in poverty, disabled and oppressed. His compassion is nearly always followed by a miracle. Isn't that cool? God's power is released to meet the need. As Jesus moves and and acts in compassion, power is released to make it on earth as it is in heaven. Because none of those things exist in heaven. And, And with the woman at the well, she is isolated from her community. And I think it's Jesus' compassion that drives him. He's well aware of all the boundaries and barriers. It drives him to kick down that wall. I'm going to do the kick that Pete did the other day. The sharp kick. He just kicks down all boundaries and barriers that society would say, ooh, don't do that, because of his absolute love and compassion for her. When we are compelled by compassion and obedient to the Spirit, we offer what just the little that we have in our hands. Jesus is going to use it to do miracles of multiplication, provision, and healing. That's just, I really felt strongly as I was writing this that there is a wave of generosity that is going to come among us at KXC. And I think it's going to look like God dropping into your mind amounts of money to give away to people. So get ready for that. It might also be um, belongings um, that you're just called to give away. And it's not going to make sense at the time. And it might even seem like a small offering in the face of need. But I just think it's about the obedience to the Spirit is going to unlock the miraculous. And it's going to be like answers to prayer for people who are desperate, who are on the edge. Don't you want to do that? Don't you want to partner with God with being an answer to prayer? So let's get ready for that. I just encourage you to start listening and asking God, God, with what I've got, is there any, anyone that you want me to give something away to? Let's see what happens. My brother-in-law, Dave, is a landscape. He's one of the most generous people I know and the most compassionate people I know. Um, And he once called the parents of a little girl. He didn't know them at all, but a little girl in his son's class who'd been diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. And he um, felt prompted by the Spirit to call them, offer them quite a substantial amount of money and also to landscape their garden for them. And they were blown away. I think initially, like most people's reaction is, no, no, that's weird. No, I can't accept that. Um, But they were so blown away by that love and that compassion that a stranger would contact them. That that led um, to a friendship with my sister and brother-in-law that went on for years that led to them being able to pray for their little girl and ultimately led to them um, coming to faith in Jesus. So where is your heart stirred with compassion for someone? You don't know what's going to happen as you just take that step. Or if it's not stirred with compassion, if you're like, actually, I, don't, I feel a bit numb, let's ask him for more of his heart and let it move you to action. It could be 
to pray for someone for healing. It could be material giving, a prophetic word or something else. God always backs up us moving with his compassion, with his heart. All right. Cost and suffering. Not the most popular one to talk about, especially for us in our comfortable worlds, hey? But actually, a sign of the kingdom breaking in is being prepared to suffer for the cause of the kingdom. So Jesus, when he was speaking with that woman at the well, his own disciples were shocked and offended by what he did there. But because his love for her, his obedience to the Spirit, just um, way overwhelmed that risk of um, harm to his reputation or social standing. And we see time and time again that Jesus' love for his Father and the cause of the kingdom just outweighed his love for comfort, safety or reputation and it ultimately led him to the cross. And Jesus said that to follow him, we're going to go the way of the cross. And that his followers would be persecuted like he was. And right now across the world, there are churches exploding as thousands are coming to faith through the power of the Spirit. But there is alongside that real persecution and suffering. And most of us here in the Western Church have not experienced this type of persecution. But even so, as we step out in obedience to the Spirit of God, I'm just saying we will experience some cost. And I, I really felt like in our culture, it's the love of comfort. And I'm talking to myself. It's a love of comfort and quite a bit of fear. Fear of offending. Fear of offending is like, it's like breaking the law in this country. <laughs> offending someone. Fear of appearing foolish. Even fear of failing. What if I step out nothing happens? It doesn't work. And it's paralyzing the church from just stepping out in faith to boldly preach the gospel as we're always meant to do, including signs and wonders. So we need to do the sharp kick to the fear today, I think. I really think it's a big one. I really do. And if you need to do a physical action, then do it. Because let's ask ourselves, where are we holding back for fear of being seen as weird? I know I do it a lot. Fear of being seen as weird, un-PC, that's a big one for our day, isn't it? Oh, it's un-PC to suggest that there's one way to God, or there's just only, you know, one truth. Offensive, or or even just being uncomfortable. God, God wants to set us free from that fear by His Spirit today. And finally, miracles. So, Jesus promised that signs and wonders would accompany those who believe. Can I just say, this isn't just for charismatics. It's not just for excitable people or people that have grown up in the Pentecostal church. Just calling that out as a lie. It's actually for everybody. It's everyday Christian stuff. We've been missing out on the good stuff if we've not been operating in this. Again, I'm speaking to myself. I think we're missing out on the good stuff. So let's, let's get into it. It's actually what you signed up for when you gave your life to Jesus. 
when we step out in obedience to the Spirit, He acts. It's on Him. And this is what Jesus did. And we might look at Jesus and go, oh, it's, it's all well and good for Him. I mean, He was actually God. So of course He can heal and raise the dead. But do you know that Jesus did those things in His humanity? He didn't do them as the all-powerful, omnipresent God. He'd limited to himself as a human. So he was doing all those things just like us in obedience to the Spirit, full of the Spirit and in obedience. He, I don't think Jesus knew things that were going to happen. I don't think God told him everything. It was just moment by moment obedience. Oh, there's a woman. Oh, healing. Oh, a storm. Okay, it's time to calm that. I really I really do think, <laughs> I really do think it was like that. What a wild life we're, we're invited into, hey? This is um, Mark 16. This is Jesus speaking. He says, And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. And this is actually Jesus speaking after he's risen from the dead. So the risen Jesus. And so he's pretty much just conquered all the power of darkness. That's pretty cool. So he's got a lot of authority and he's saying this will be what happens. So as you go out, it's in the context of him saying, go out, preach the gospel to all creation, baptize believers, and then expect these signs and wonders. And I know the bit about the picking up snakes and drinking poison is quite weird, but I think it's actually, he's just stating their authority over all darkness. Just like how much authority they now have. Basically, the signs are going to back up the kingdom message, which is move out Satan. The kingdom of heaven is here and death and sin has been overcome by Jesus. Yes, that deserved an amen. (laughs) So the signs are both a foretaste of heaven and they're about heaven breaking in now. That's what we get to do. We get to show the foretaste. One day it's going to be all fulfilled. All of the, the, the works of Satan, all the sickness, death, crying will be done with forever. But we get to show it breaking in right here and now. So in Paul's letter to the Romans, Paul is echoing the words of Jesus. So Paul basically goes and does all that Jesus did with the signs and the wonders and the message. And he says that the Gentiles came to faith not just by what he said, but by what he has done through the power of the signs and the, the wonders. So the miracles basically. And I would suggest that the gospel without the demonstration of signs and wonders is incomplete then. That's challenging, isn't it? And I'm speaking as someone that is really taking baby steps in this myself. It's not the whole picture. It's 2D without those things breaking out. Because the kingdom is breaking in. It's meant to be in a tangible way. The signs tell the story of the kingdom. We need the words, the works, and the wonders to tell that story. And in Luke 10... 
Jesus sends out the 72 disciples to do what he had been doing. So to proclaim the gospel and while they're at it, heal the sick and cast out demons. And I'm sure they went out feeling incredibly ill-equipped, probably a bit like us of like, oh Jesus, we've only ever done it. We haven't even, we've just watched you do it. And now you're just telling us we've got this authority. So they probably felt really ill-equipped, but they just did it probably in trembling. They gave it a try. And then it says they came back with joy saying, even the demons submit to us. And I think that that's for us. I know we're going to feel ill-equipped. We're going to take trembling steps in this area. Um, But, you know, I really believe we're going to come back in joy, even if it's that we share some really funny stories of where it's gone wrong. I think that it's about finding your chicken line. I'm going to explain this. It's not a line of chickens. It's finding, it's a phrase that um, some pastors a long time ago had where it's basically find the line that you're scared of that would be like the next step for you stepping out beyond where you stepped before. And it might be different for different people. So it might be for you, if you've never even talked to a stranger before, maybe that's your chicken line. Maybe just start with that. Just start with striking up a conversation with someone. Or if you've never spoken out a prophetic word before at church or in hub, that's your chicken line. Give that a go. Why don't we practice this stuff and then kind of take it out? Or maybe you pray for healing regularly on a Sunday for people, physical healing. So it's time to try praying for healing on the street. Maybe go to prayer on the streets next Sunday. Maybe it's time to simply pray and ask God to give you his heart for someone at work. Maybe it's that you don't even kind of think that way about work. Just like, God, can you give me your heart of compassion? Show me what you're doing. Um, I really like it. A few weeks ago, we had George White here and he said, you know, it's not about us taking Jesus out there. Jesus is already out there. He's already at work. We just get to join him and say, God, what are you already doing? And where can I join that? The other day, preparing for this talk, I was going to the hairdresser, so I was like, oh, I've got to do it. I've got to pray and ask God um, for a word for her. I just really prayed and said, God, could we have a prophetic conversation today? Um, And so I went kind of geared in that way. And do you know what? It just actually happened. It happened, but it was also because I was looking for it. It was like my senses were attuned to where those opportunities came up. And we just started talking generally about our jobs. And then I said, do you know what? I think your job is, a, is quite similar to my job as a pastor. And we started talking about what happens when people just share their hearts with you and share their pain with you. And I said, I think actually you are creating um, home for people here in London. You are creating safe spaces for people here. And then I said, and this was the chicken line for me. It's not very big. I was just like, I don't know what you think about God and faith, but from my perspective, I think God's really using you and he's using you to do this, this and this. And she just, she was fine. She just kind of laughed. And then I said, and then I said, also, I think that maybe one day you're going to write a book about all the things that you've seen and experienced here on the Cali. And, um, and she said, actually, last year I met my half sister and she's an editor and copywriter because I'm dyslexic. And I was like, great. I said, this is a, this is prophetic then. I've said it now. You're going to write a book. And she just laughed and laughed. She thought it was hilarious. But I just felt like God just going, yep, it's as easy as that. Like, 
just you just give it a go and you don't know what seed has been planted there. Um, yeah. I just remember another time as well where I tried to step out in the area of physical healing. It was with in my job as an occupational therapist, the mum of a child I'd been working with, and every time I saw her, she said, oh, I've just got this illness. No one can work out what it is, and I just feel terrible all the time. I just feel terrible, and I'd be like, oh, that's no good. And then the next step, I'd be like, oh... I'm praying for you. You know I'm a Christian, so I'm praying. And she'd be like, oh, thanks. That's really nice. Thanks. But every time we had the conversation, I felt the spirit going, come on, come on. And in this final time, I was just like, oh, I have to pray. I need to lay hands on her and pray for her. And so we were at the door. I was about to leave, and I said it again. Oh, I'm praying for you. And she's like, great. And then I said, can I, can I pray for you right now? And she said, oh, okay, and didn't really know what that meant. And it was that awkward prayer that you have with people who are not from church where they just stare at you the whole time. They don't know the rules. And uh, it was great. And it was the shortest prayer I've ever prayed in my life. And I was like, oh, I felt like I was dying the whole time I did it. I was just like, Jesus, thank you that you love her. Can you heal her? Amen. It was as simple as that. And then she just she just burst into tears and then she just hugged me she didn't get healed in the moment by the way and I was driving away going God what was that like she didn't even get healed and he was like no but I met her at her point of need she needed to know she was loved she felt my spirit and that's the point we don't know what's going to happen right we might just get the weirdest response in the world but we're still called to do it we're still called to do it okay so I want to ask, finish up by, by asking these questions. Just thinking about that woman at the well. Where are the wells in your life? Who is there? And what is their greatest point of need at the moment? And it might be that even as I've been sharing this morning, there's just been people that have been coming to mind, maybe neighbours, um, just things where you'd even had an idea of something that you wanted to say or do. And I feel like the Lord's saying, it's not too late. I give you a lot of chances. He's so kind. He's not condemning with this stuff. He's really not. He's just like, yeah, come on. He's like a proud father. It's just like, just take a little baby step. And as you do that, you just sense the spirit. You sense him there with you going, yes, cheering you on.